10 seconds late. <laughs> Good evening. Time to begin our services tonight. We'll begin with number 242. 242. I just put in half a stick of gum, so bear with me. <laughs> I got to get it tucked away and get all that juice down. <laughs> 242. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he has given, how beautiful heaven must be, how beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, how beautiful heaven must be. In heaven, no drooping nor pining, no wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of happy and free. Number 871. After this song, uh, Mike has our reading and prayer. 
reading that Chris has selected for this evening comes from Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah 36, verses 27 through 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah, saying, Take again another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, Why have you written on it that the kings of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will make man and beast to cease from it? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you so much, Lord, for being our God. We are so thankful, Father, for all that you do for us, for the many blessings that you give us, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening, Father, to worship you, to sing praises to you, to a lesson from your word father we thank you for that that you've given us the the ability the health to to be here and we thank you for jesus for the opportunity this morning to remember his sacrifice on the cross and what that means for us father the hope that we have because of that and and the, the forgiveness of, of sins father that uh, we can never do for ourselves lord and thankful for your grace and your mercy and father we're thankful thankful for the body of believers here at rome lord we're thankful for each member and and father we are aware that there's so many at this time that are struggling with various health issues uh, many that were mentioned this morning father we just continue to lift them up to you lord and be with the ward and white family at this time father to passing a Kristen. we just ask your continued blessings upon them for strength and healing and and peace in the days to come and and father for so many that are um struggling with with various health issues with um, with cancer we continue to pray for jennifer and and um, for jim and and darren and for uh, Dottie diamond and, and danny wheeler and diana foss and and father just be with each of them and and for others lord for gail's son sean we just pray that he's able to to get some answers and figure out what's going on with him and best uh, way to treat him father and and Lord, we're thankful that we can come to you in prayer. We know you hear our prayers. We know that you are a, a loving God and you're the great physician. And we uh, trust in that and, and just thank you for that, Father. And just ask that you'd be with uh, the rest of our time here tonight, that everything that's done will be pleasing to you, Father. And just be with uh, us as we leave here and uh, for the rest of the week, that we will continue to, to stay close to you. We'll continue to keep our focus upon you upon eternal life father and, and the goal of getting there and everything that we do will be pleasing to you father and and lord we are mindful of the events of the the world that things are going on in, in different parts of the world especially at the war in ukraine we just continue to to lift those people up father just pray for a peaceful ending to that and just pray especially for your uh, for, for those that love you in that area of the world father that you will protect them and, and just be with them and, and comfort them and, and father we again thank you for all that you do for us forgive us when we do fall short it's through jesus christ we pray amen we're lesson tonight number 274 the song of invitation is number 50 if you're using a book you can mark that number 50 now sing 274, would you stand please? <clears throat> 
found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, the hymn of all I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow is my comfort, in trouble is my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 2,000 to my soul. Oh, he all my griefs has taken and all my sorrow bore. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me, dear. While I live by faith and do his blessed will. Oh, all the fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With this man I eat, my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory, Good evening. It's good to see you back with us this evening. I'll be turning in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23 is where we're going to be spending our time. Uh, it's kind of the last little section here in the book of Kings. We're, we're dealing with four kings tonight that um, are right before and right during the, the fall of Babylon, or the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, rather. This morning we talked about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and these these men and women who lived such faithful lives, even though they couldn't see what was coming, even though they couldn't, they couldn't feel, they couldn't touch God's promises, they were convinced that they were coming and they trusted in Him despite some of the hard times that they were going through. They were found faithful. They were blessed. Tonight is the other side of the coin. You find four men here who do not trust God, and they won't be looking forward to His promises. And so I don't know what we want to call this, but it's the anti-hall of faith, I suppose. It starts here in 2 Kings chapter 23, uh, verse 31. You remember from last week that Josiah, the last good king of Judah, has now died. Uh, this guy was a reformer extraordinaire. He, there, there hasn't been a king like Josiah uh, the Bible says ever, uh, in Judah or, or anywhere else for that matter, suppose. Uh, he's very much like David. He's, he's a good, righteous man. He has a son. His name's Jehoahaz. You find him here in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 31. He's 23 years old when he starts to reign. He reigns a shocking 
three months in Judah. And you're actually going to see this a couple times uh, in this section of Scripture. These two kings only reigning for three months apiece. This guy was elected. Uh, I don't know if elected is the right term. I guess he was chosen by the people. Josiah has several children. Josiah is killed in battle, so they need a new king very quickly. And so the people choose this guy, Jehoahaz. Uh, you may know him, Jehoahaz. Uh, it's easier for me to say Jehoahaz. <laughs> but uh, they, they elect this guy, most likely because he is anti-Egyptian. You'll find several guys throughout this, this four-year or this four-king period in Judah that have either their allegiances to Egypt or their allegiances to Babylon. And they waffle back and forth so fast that neither Egypt nor Babylon knows what's going on. Uh, and certainly, there, none of these four kings are, uh, ha, have allegiance to, to Yahweh. And so, this guy, Jehoahaz, it seems like he has some anti-Egyptian leanings. And so, the people of Judah don't like Egypt at this point in their history. And so, they choose him to be the next king. He reigns for three months, and he is taken off into Egyptian slavery. And the pharaoh there, his name's Necho. You can find him in history as well, Pharaoh Necho. He's, he's kind of a big big deal in history. But uh, he takes him off into Egyptian slavery, and he's never seen again. We don't, we don't know anything else about him. He's just lost in the mists of time. And Necho, this, the Pharaoh of Egypt there, puts a puppet king on the throne. Uh, it's Jehoahaz's brother, his elder brother, a guy named Eliakim. And he's going to change his name to Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim is going to be yet another evil king. Second verse, same as the first with this guy. He's going to reign about 11 years, and uh, he's going, it's going to be 11 years of wickedness, 11 years of evil. Um, the passage Mike read for you tonight from Jeremiah chapter 36 is one of Jehoiakim's, possibly his most famous incident. And so during it, uh, Jeremiah has written a scroll, has written uh, a word to Jehoiakim, and the word is, get ready, because Babylon's coming, and they're going to destroy you, um, and so get your house in order kind of thing. Doesn't sit well with Jehoiakim, and so he starts cutting it up, and he burns the scroll of, of Jeremiah, and you see this very low view of Scripture all throughout this section of Israelite history, all these kings of Judah, none of them were, were right. None of them were righteous. They were all looking for different ways to be wicked. And this guy's low view of Scripture landed him in um, God's crosshairs. So you can read his story uh, in 2 Kings chapter 24. He's also found toward the end of 2 Chronicles. Um, Jehoiakim reigns about... Uh, 11 years. He's 25 when he takes over the throne. He is also all 11 years worth of evil. Uh, look in uh, chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. It's not that they don't want to listen to Egypt. It's not that they don't want to listen to Babylon, these four kings. <coughs> It's not even that they don't want to listen to Yahweh. It's that they don't want to listen to anybody. These guys don't like being told what to do. 
And you find that just back and forth with these four. They're all obviously uh, related. It's it's a, a son, a brother, an uncle, I think a cousin. Um, but they're it's just this family trait of not righteousness, but of, of evil. Uh, they just don't want to listen. They don't want to listen to anybody. And so you find them in the hot seat uh, just repeatedly throughout this, this little section of Scripture. Finally, Jehoiakim dies, and his son Jehoiachin takes his place. Jehoiachin is also going to be uh, an evil king. He's only going to reign about three months, though. Here's another one of our guys who is just a three-month reigning king. And he is going to be taken off into Babylonian captivity. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in because he was supposed to be paying tribute. He's not going to do that. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to take him away into Babylonian captivity. And he's going to stay there. And he's going to stay there for the rest of his life. Time stops in Scripture when this guy is taken off into captivity. Up until this point, they had been noting... The uh, they'd been telling time by what year it was, how many how many years this particular king in Judah had been on the throne. That's no longer the case in Scripture. You go back and look at it, and then it starts. Um, they start telling time by how many years this particular guy has been in prison, or how many years it's been since uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and took everybody away into exile. You'll find toward the end of at the in fact the very last bit of 2 Kings, uh, which is coming up very quickly now, uh, that this you find this guy again. And so put him on a shelf. Jehoiachin, put him on a shelf, and we'll come back to him in just a second. His uncle, a guy named Zedekiah, takes over for him. And Zedekiah is going to be king when Jerusalem falls. And so you get this, this impression um, that from, from the people of Israel that God's going to intervene here because the temple is in Jerusalem. He's not going to allow the Babylonians to come in and, and destroy them. God's removed his presence from Judah. His presence no longer lives in the temple. They have, with their wickedness and their evil, their idolatry and their immorality, they have pushed God out of their lives. He's, he's refused to have part of them. Uh, and you remember, of course, from Isaiah chapter 1, when they pray to him, what's God going to do? He's going to stop up his ears. When they sacrifice to them, that those things aren't pleasing to him anymore. He's, he's cut them off. There comes a point in their life when their sin is too much, and, and we're there. Um, they're no longer going to be his people, but, but, thanks to grace, he's not going to leave them forever. And we'll talk about that in just a second when we circle back around to Jehoiachin here toward the end. So, in January of 587 B.C., about 587 years before Jesus was born, Nebuchadnezzar comes to siege Jerusalem. He stops up everything. There's no food going in. There's no food coming out. There's nobody getting out. And so, what are you going to do? Hopefully, you've got enough stores inside Jerusalem to last you a while. They do. About 18 months. There are some things that uh, they do that will kick them along down the road in the food department that you probably need to go back through and read on your own. Um, but they're going to last out about 18 months. Um, and then in July of 586, 
They're just done. They don't have any food. They haven't had any food for a very long time. They've been eating things that are not food. And um, they're tired. They're exhausted. The army's pretty well been decimated. And so Zedekiah makes a decision. He breaches the wall. One of the little spots, I guess, where one of the catapults had put a hole in the wall or something. He and his army run through that, and they're making for Jericho. They're going to head toward Jericho. Let's, uh, let's see if we can read this, this little section here. It's uh, 2 Kings chapter 25. You're going to look in... Uh, You're going to look in verse... <laughs> Ooh, it's in Second Chronicles. Sorry. That's why I couldn't find it in Second Kings. It's in Second Chronicles. Some of these stories run together. You're familiar, of course, that uh, Second Chronicles and Second Kings tell the same story. Uh, they tell it from different standpoints. So every now and then you'll get them mixed up. You kind of go, kind of go, go searching for them. Um, but... Second Chronicles chapter 26, starting in verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign. He reigned, in, uh, he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. That's kind of like what his, his nephew had done earlier, right? Jehoiakim had cut up the scroll of Jeremiah. He has not humbled himself before Jeremiah who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. So there again, you just get this, this constant reminder in this last little section of Kings. These guys did not like being told what to do. They didn't like um, anyone telling them what to do, and, and it's going to be their downfall. So uh, eventually he's going to run through this little section of the of the wall, and uh, they're going to catch him. He's running with his army towards Jericho, hopefully, I think, uh, hoping to get to the other side of Jericho, across the Jordan River, so he can get to some of his allies on the Transjordan area. But he's not going to make it. The Babylonians are going to catch him, and they're going to uh, mutilate him there. They're going to uh, put out his eyes. The last thing, in fact, Zedekiah sees are his children being murdered by the Babylonians. And then they, they put out his eyes. And so Zedekiah is led off into Babylonian captivity. And uh, all of Israel are led off into Babylonian captivity. And that is the end of their story, really. Flip over. 2 Kings chapter 25. Look there toward the end of this passage. We're coming up on the close of uh, this, this series. We're calling Binge Reading uh, the Bible. We've been looking through Matthew chapter 1 at some of these kings of Judah that were in Jesus' genealogy and the importance and some of their stories. Uh, they're so vivid and they're such a good reminder uh, for us of some of the pitfalls that we fall into and how to stay away from them. These guys, like I said uh, just a minute ago, these guys are the anti-hall of faith. There was no trust. Who did they trust in? Well, they trusted in Egypt. They trusted in Babylon. They trusted in themselves. They didn't never trust in God. There was never any faith there. There was only ever distrust. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't fall in line. They never submitted. And so ruin comes to, to them because of that. 
finally, a guy named Gedaliah becomes governor over Judah. He's appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be murdered um, by these guys that are left in the city. Some of this aristocracy, some of the, the royals that are left in the city uh, are going to kill him. And uh, that, that's really the rest of the story. What I, what I, what I really want you to see, though, uh, it comes up here in 2 Kings chapter 25. Verse 27. Remember I told you we'd get back to Jehoiachin. Here we are back at Jehoiachin. 2 Kings chapter 25 verse 27. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. It's been decades since he's been in prison. Decades. He's lived most of his life in prison. In fact, when he went into prison, he was as an astonishing 18 years old. A young guy went to prison to save his country, and it didn't work. Um, seems like he kind of sacrifices himself, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. And uh, eventually, right here, uh, Israel will go into Babylonian captivity... Judah will be destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, the walls are burnt, uh, the temple is, is done away with. And finally, now when he's somewhere around the age of 55, he's going to be let out of prison by this brand new king of Babylon, uh, evil Merodach. Uh, in verse 28, he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So he blesses this guy, this Jehoiachin, king of Judah, even above all the other kings, because this is kind of pretty common uh, for Babylon and any national power back then. Uh, when they conquered a nation, they would take its king captive. And they were afforded certain liberties, um, but apparently evil Merodach appointed this guy, honored this guy, Jehoiachin, over all the other kings that he had conquered. Verse 29, so Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Did you catch that? The king of Babylon paid this guy's rent and gave him some spending money to walk around on. Why in the world does kings end like that? It's interesting, right? Kings has told us time and time and time again, sin will be punished, right? The answer, the question kings answers is, were, was God not strong enough to save us from the exile? And of course the answer is, it wasn't God's fault you ended up in the exile. It's your fault because of the sin and God punished the sin. It has nothing to do with his power. It has everything to do with his justice. He can't allow sin to go on unpunished. You've sinned, so he's going to punish. He's going to condemn. And so Kings has brought that to our attention at literally every point possible for him, for the author of Kings to bring up, you're responsible for your sins. He keeps bringing that back up and back up. And so it's very interesting that he positions Yehoachin here as being taken care of. Something's changing here, isn't it? Flip over to the end of Second Chronicles. 
you're going to find something perhaps even more interesting. You just, we just need to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 17. If you have never studied the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, it is the pivotal moment in Israelite history. Think of the worst day of your life. Think of the worst day of our nation's life. What would that day be? Would it, would it be um, 9-11? Maybe, right? Uh, would it be like Pearl Harbor? Maybe, right? The decimation that those two days caused pales in comparison to the decimation that was wreaked on Jerusalem on this day. In July of 586, the world ended for the Jewish nation. All the hopes, all the dreams that they had ever called up, all those things were called up in Jerusalem. And once it's gone, all their hopes were dashed. They were just gone, destroyed, lit on fire, and watched burn by what they would consider a madman. Read it here in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 17. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin or old man or aged. He gave them all into his hands. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the kings and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And so it's, it's not just the people. God gave over everything because he doesn't care about any of those things, does he? He never cared about the gold and the silver and all this stuff that, that they were so focused on. He wanted relationship with them. He demanded relationship with them, and they just never gave it to them. How hard do you fight for your relationship with God? How hard do you focus on that relationship? How important is it to you? It wasn't very important to these guys. They paid the penalty for it, didn't they? They struggled to give him what he was due, what he is due. If we're going to struggle in the same manner, we're going to get the same penalty, aren't we? Our faith needs to be the most pivotal part of our life. Everything else needs to spin around it. These guys had made their life spin around a variety of other things. A lot of those things involved money and power. A lot of those things involved themselves and their selfishness and their rebellion against God. Whatever you make your life spin around will be the focus of your life. It will be the pivotal thing in your life. God demands that he is that pivotal thing that your entire life spins around. In fact, in the book of Colossians, Paul would say that Christ, who is your life. What's your life? What's your life about? If you had to characterize it in just a few words, somebody asked you, what's your life? What would you say? As a Christian, we ought to be able to say, Christ, unequivocally, without thought, he's everything. Everything I do spins around him. What job do I work? Well, is it going to bring me closer or farther away from him? Who do I marry? Well, is it going to bring me closer to him or does it take me farther away? What are my hobbies? What do I like to do? How do I talk? Who do I hang out with? All these things 
spin around him. They didn't for them. The Israelites had chosen something else to make their life spin around. And they're, they're going to pay the penalty for it. So we need to make sure that our lives spin around him. That they're focused on him. That we don't get distracted by all the things that are so twinkly and bright. And sometimes we kind of lose focus. Don't get distracted. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9... Uh, 26 and 27, that we, we're, fighting a, uh, we're fighting a fight, right? We're, we're in the middle of a race. And so you, you, you discipline your body so that we can achieve, so that we can win, the, we can achieve the goal. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to discipline our bodies so that we can achieve the goal. Intimacy with Him. We can't be intimate with Him if other things are what our life spins around, right? Those are what we're intimate with. Those may be good things. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm saying that's not what our life should spin around. Our lives need to be focused on Him. So, 2 Chronicles 36, 19. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. That is the darkest verse in all of the Bible. The Jewish people... Uh, they would have turned their stomach. It doesn't come across like that in English, does it? It's, very, it's a very fast phrase. But this, this one sentence uh, would have stopped their, their breathing. Uh, it would have put a pit in the ball of their stomach. This was the most unimaginable thing possible for them. Do you stop on 9-11 and, and think, like contemplate back on how you felt on that day and what you were doing? Uh, I feel like a lot of us do, and maybe... Maybe you feel that little pit in the ball of your stomach and time has a way of making that pit maybe not as dark, maybe not as strong. Maybe our emotions aren't as strong in 2022 as they were in 2002, right? Don't allow time to take away the pain that this verse necessitates. You're supposed to feel the tragedy of this verse. And he sums it up so fast. It's, it's, a, it's almost like a punch in the stomach. You're supposed to feel that way when you read through this verse. This is supposed to take your breath away. Verse 20, St. Chronicles 36, verse 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword... So the people that lived through the incursion into Babylon, they get taken off into slavery. And they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. It's going to be a while. To fulfill, this is no accident, this is to fulfill in verse 21, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to, to fulfill the 70 years. And so they're going to be there for 70 years. And you go back and do the math on it, and that is exactly what happens. But check out verse 22, and here's, here's kind of, we're driving at our point here. Second Chronicles 36, verse 22. He says, now in, the first year of the king of, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdoms and also put it in writing. So this is how 
This last verse here is how the book of Chronicles ends. Chronicles is all about, is our relationship with God broken? Is he ever going to forgive us? Are we ever going to be in covenant relationship with him again? Is intimacy with him possible now, still? Or are we on the outs forever? That's the answer. That's the question Chronicles has to answer for you. And, and throughout it, you find this reverberating, yes, God, God is still in relationship with you. But listen to how the chronicler ends his book. This is Cyrus's decree. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, what? A foreign monarch who has Israel enslaved starts off his decree with Yahweh. You go back and look at it. It's in all caps, isn't it? That's his, his covenantial name. And so he's saying Yahweh. He's invoking Israel's, Israel, the God of Israel's name, which you don't find very often on a foreign monarch's tongue. He says, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build to him, or has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Who was the last guy God charged to build him a house? King Solomon, right? David's son. Cyrus has that exact same decree from Yahweh. He says, Whoever is among you all of all his people, all the Jewish people, now their ears are perked up, right? And their ears perked up instantly the time, the moment he said Yahweh's name. And now he's talking about building a house. Their minds are going back to Solomon's glory on the moment Solomon built this house for God. And so they're, they're listening. Whoever's among all of you as people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go. That's the end. That's the end of Chronicles, right? At the end of Kings, Jehoiachin, Israel's rightful king, Zedekiah is not the rightful king. Zedekiah is somewhere else. He's blind. He's still in Babylonian captivity. But at the end of Kings, Jehoiachin is being blessed by God. Right? Here, you find more to the story. Here, the king of Persia now, they've taken over the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus is king of the world at this point. And he makes this proclamation that, hey, any Jewish people that want to go home, you guys want to go back to Jerusalem? I am going to foot the bill for you guys to rebuild the temple. Because Yahweh told me to. Okay. It's interesting that only a meager few go. Isn't that amazing? Only a meager few of the Jewish people take him up on his offer and they head back. And we'll talk more about them next week as we get into um, Zerubbabel. He was not a king, but is of that lineage. But it's interesting to me that Kings and Chronicles both end on this high note. Why? Because I think he wants them to see hope. He wants them to have hope. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone. If you're willing to come back, God's there waiting for you to come back. It's the story of the prodigal son. Uh, Chronicles and Kings is, is that story drawn out across 400 years uh, of God pleading with them to come home, come back. Come back to me and I'll bless you like you've never even considered. 
beyond your wildest dreams. I will bless you and you will be my people. And having intimacy with him is, is, is that blessing. And if you'll just come back. But they wouldn't. And they, they relied on and trusted in other people. Egypt. What happened when they trusted and relied on Egypt? It fell through every single time. Every single time Egypt let them down. It was never. It never came through for them. Even last week, as we were talking about uh, the Assyrian threat against Jerusalem with Sennacherib, you find him acknowledging this fact, that Egypt is a broken reed. And when you lean on it, it pierces your hand because it breaks. It goes right through your hand. They actually hurt you instead of helping you. And so you're putting your trust and in, in your faith in Egypt and they're going to let you down every time. So you put your trust and your faith in Babylon. And guess what? They're going to let you down every time too. God's pleading with them to come home. And they just won't. Will you? See how it pivots? This story is not just for them. It's for you. Will you come home? Will you submit to him? Will you follow his mandates? Will you give your life over to him? Through the power of baptism, he washes your sins away and you become a brand new creation. But that brand new creation has its own set of priorities, doesn't it? You follow his will. You do his things. You give over your life and you make everything spin around him. That's what you said at your baptism, that he is now your life. Maybe you've already been baptized and you're struggling. That makes sense. This is it's a hard season to be in anyhow. But the Christian walk is not an easy one. And he never promised, it, promised us it would be easy, did he? In fact, he promised that he would be with us in the midst of our struggles. Right? That's his promise to you today too. Just like he was with them in the midst of their struggles. He'll be with you in the midst of yours as well. But you've got to be close to him. You've got to allow your life, you've got to force your life to spin around him. So what's your decision? If you haven't been baptized tonight, we want to aid you in any way we can. If you need to, the prayers of this congregation to be God's person, we want to aid you in that way as well. If we can help in any way tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Have you been to
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder, uh, tomorrow we will be taking a bus to Flatwoods Church of Christ at 620. So if you're wanting to come to that, uh, be here at 620 at the building. Um, also, if, uh, Weishan is take, now taking applications. If you have any questions, please see Connie on that. If you can help out cutting the, the church grass, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. Um, also, May the 11th, Monday at 9 o'clock, will be an elders and preachers breakfast. Uh, Wednesday, April 6th, will be Stepping Stones dinner. Uh, Saturday, April 9th, will be the egg hunt at 6 o'clock. And April 10th will be a high school and middle school devotional with the preacher rotation. Mark Eights will be our guest speaker. Um, Maryland, continue to keep uh, Jim Haney in your prayers, Yvonne Cornell, Sean Maynard, Judy Gerald, Jennifer Baker, uh, Roger Pryor, and Charlie Boso, and Darren Baker. Um, two new announcements I'd like to announce. Um, remember to keep Barbara Fuller Williamson in your prayers. That's Miller Fuller's daughter. Miller Fuller is her dad. And that's Dr. Friday's nurse. Um, he is, I'm sorry, she is in ICU at this time. So keep Barbara in your prayers uh, that everything's successful and, and the doctors are taking care of them, taking care of her. And, and also keep Friday and, and uh, Miller in your prayers at this time. Um, I also have uh, someone turn in a, a car key. It goes to a Honda. Um, I want to hit the button so bad to find out whose it is. Hit the alarm button. Um, I did not do that, but I'll uh, I'll put this out in the foyer table. Uh, so just come by and, and grab that. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, uh, it has been been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Is it really? <laughs> I bet it was found in the chair out there in the, in the foyer, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. Better my cell phone going off in the middle of church, right? Uh, let's close the night with number 208. 208. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world has sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Oh, I 
Pray, Lord, that you will accept our worship. Help us, Father, to remember to continue to pray and seek your blessings as we go through the week. Thank you for Brother French and his good lessons today. Help us to remember and to apply them more carefully in our lives. Dear Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have always given us when we ask. And we ask you, Lord, to please be with us now as we prepare to start a new week and, and to remember to turn, <clears throat> turn to you, dear Lord, for our help and our strength. Thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you for including us amongst the saved. We continue to praise you, Lord, and in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 